1983, Booker T. Williams was found stabbed to death in a parked car at a Jacksonville elementary school. Now, 35 years later, clues could lead to a potential suspect. I'm Paige Kelton with Action News Jax, and we've partnered with Project Cold Case and the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office to put the spotlight on unsolved local crimes. The goal? To generate a tip that leads to an arrest. In this episode, Lorena Inclan spoke to Williams' family and gets exclusive access to the detectives working new information in this case. That's all I see when I look over there is more questions. We met with Terrence Williams just outside the Grand Park Education Center. The area has changed a lot since May 3rd, 1983, the day his uncle's body was found in an open field by the school. I never got a chance to say goodbye. Uh, it, it really affected my family deeply. It changed everybody. JSO showed us these photos of the 1978 Chevy Monza found in the field. 26-year-old Booker Williams' lifeless body was in the driver's seat. He had been repeatedly stabbed. Whoever did it had a lot of anger in them to stab somebody that many times. I'm standing near the crime scene right now at the end of Almeda Street. The car was found just over here in that area, just feet away from what was then Grand Park Elementary School and is still an education center today. This happened on the weekday, which means a student could have found this scene. But JSO tells me a worker made the discovery and called 911. There was a knife outside the vehicle stuck in the ground on that passenger side where that door was open. But Sergeant Dan Jansen says testing on the knife came back negative for traces of blood. Through the years, one man was considered a person of interest, but he recently died. But there's also an anonymous call in the early days of the investigation that alleged a teenager named Jimmy may have been the killer. He advised that he asked Jimmy about it and Jimmy showed him a knife and told him that he had killed the guy. No DNA testing was ever done on the case. Detectives hope to find something that can be tested. Meanwhile, Williams has made it his mission to never stop looking for answers. What I have is a lot of hope that someone will be facing justice for this. Lorena Inclan, CBS 47, Action News Jax. Thank you so much for joining us on our Project Cold Case podcast. Today, I'm joined by Terrence Williams, who was just 12 years old back in 1983 when his uncle was taken from him in a murder. So Terrence, let's begin by first telling us about your uncle. What do you remember from him? Uh, my uncle was a very nice person. Uh, he wasn't the uh, type to really harm anyone. Uh, he was very personable, personable with people. Uh, he had a lot of friends. So I thought, and uh, there's no reason that I can think of why anybody would want to harm him mm -hmm. in any way. Do you remember that moment that you learned that your uncles had been killed? Yes, I had just gotten off the school bus on the way home and uh, my grandmother called me and I was telling her that I was gonna run home and put my books down and I'll be back. But she insisted that I come into the house. And when I got into the house, I saw the long faces and I asked what was going on. And that's when I was told what had happened. And you were 12? Yes. What was that like for you to learn about somebody close to you dying? It was very horrifying and puzzling. Did you grasp what the magnitude of it at that age? At that age, I didn't know all that I, all that I was told was that he was deceased. Uh, I didn't know the details until later on. And it just stuck with me all these years. 
And as you learned the details, as you got older, what did you think? Well, I think it was very awful. Uh, I never got a chance to say goodbye. Uh, it, it really affected my family deeply. It changed everybody, of course. And I just made it my mission at some point. And I made it a, I made a promise to my grandparents that I would pick up the ball and keep rolling with it. And here we are today. I imagine it affected your grandparents a lot because they lost their son. Yes, and they left this earth not knowing any answers, any clues, nothing. Do you remember uh, your last interaction with your uncle? I know that you were young, but... Uh, yeah, I saw him right before he died. Uh, he was uh, at my grandmother's house. I was staying the night over there. And we always uh, wrestled around and things like that there. And I saw him before he left. Uh, that wasn't the time that he had died, but that was the last time I had seen him. And he told me he'd be back, and he told me he loved me before he left. He did tell yeah. you. Do you replay that in your mind a lot? I try not to dwell on it, mm -hmm. but it, it's in my mind. He's mm -hmm. always on my mind. Mm -hmm. It's now been like 35 years? Yes, 35 years, May 3rd, made 35 years. Since he was killed? Yes. And still, no answers? No. How much more difficult is that for you and your family to not know? Well, it's very difficult to anybody who doesn't know the answers to who killed a loved one, even today. And uh, that's why I say everybody should stay in contact with the sheriff's office and keep the case alive because you mm -hmm. never know. As you can see uh, with the Farrah case, that was over 40 years ago, and he was killed right down the street at that store on the corner of Division and Kings Road. And they recently found the suspect, mm -hmm. and they forgave him and everything. And they got closure. This is the Freddie right. Fre the Freddie Farah case, who was uh, right. shot in a store right. 43 years later. And that's yep. what made me think, hmm, why don't why don't I throw my uncle's case out there and see what we can shake loose? You're holding on to hope. Yes. Mm -hmm. the, Back then, do you remember, or as you got older, when you were talking to family, was there ever any concern with the people he was hanging around with? Well, there was always concern. You know, back then, uh, parents watched over their loved ones a little more than they do today. Uh, it was always concern about your child's well-being, who they hung around with, and where they were hanging out at. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the friends that he chose may not have been the best company to keep, but they were his friends, okay? Mm -hmm. So we have to keep that in mind. And for something like this to happen, it's just mind-blowing. JSO believes that the person who killed him knew, that they knew each other, they weren't strangers, like they, they knew each other. Do you believe that as well? Yes, mm -hmm. and I was told that uh, prior to his death, they were in this, what is now uh, school property, but back then it was just an open field and that he's supposed to have been seen hanging out with friends mm -hmm. in the lot, you know, mm -hmm. whether they were drinking or what have you, but they were supposed to have been having a good time. And uh, what created awareness is that the same car was sitting unattended in the lot the following day. Mm -hmm. And that's what caused somebody to go and investigate and that's how they found him. And they found him stabbed to death. Yes, he was stabbed. Uh, almost 30 times in the chest area, and they found him slumped over the passenger seat from the driver's seat 
So whoever did this was in the car with him at the time, I believe. And JSO told me that they found the passenger side door wide open. Right. Mm -hmm. So right. that another clue as to this person may have been with him yes. that whole night. Yeah. Yes, and that yeah. person also might have left that knife that was stuck in the ground. Do you believe that's the murder weapon? I do believe that was mm -hmm. the murder weapon. And JSO still has that in their uh, storage. I'm mm -hmm. so grateful. Mm -hmm. I am very grateful because that, that could be the key that we need because back then technology wasn't as advanced as today. There was no such thing as DNA. Uh, it might have been fingerprints, but I don't think it went as far as latent fingerprints mm -hmm. or what have you. But I do believe that DNA could be lifted off. And maybe if we get a picture of somebody, maybe they can match it up to what they have. Uh, they call faces technology, where they match faces up to different people. And who knows, maybe that person themselves may still be alive today. Do you believe this person is still out there walking about among us? It could very, they could very well be. Uh, over the years, you know, things have happened to a lot of people. Uh, maybe the person is deceased, but I still have hope that that person or uh, whoever is connected to my uncle's murder is still alive, and I would like to see them answer to their crime. And you know, Terrence, we're really near the scene here, uh, what is now Grand Park Education Center, I believe. It, it used to be Grand Park Elementary back then, Yes. Right? What's it like for you to be back here? Well, uh, it just brings up more questions. That's all I see when I look over there is more questions. Back then, those portable buildings mm -hmm. here, they weren't here back then. It was just that one lone building. Even this portable wasn't here. Mm -hmm. And uh, the area pretty much still remains the same, maybe except for this pool. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was a little different back then. But, Is this uh, your first time back here in a while or every now and then? Every now and then, you know, through growing up and uh, living in this area and traveling back and forth. I've always passed here, but I'd never taken up on myself to really go back there or what have you. Mm -hmm. I just know that this is where he was, he spent his last, uh, I guess you could say last minutes or last hours of his life. And Terrence, the fact that he was stabbed that many times and JSO tells me that there was no robbery, nothing was taken. Do you believe, well, what do you believe that means? I believe something led up to it. It might have been an uh, altercation. Uh, it was said that they were drinking at the time. Maybe some words might have been exchanged. And it just took off from there. Mm -hmm. uh, whoever did it had a lot of anger in them to stab somebody that many times in such a small area. And to disappear and go on with their life like that, you know, it's just, it's, it's heart-wrenching. It really is. What's your biggest fear in this case? As of now, I really don't have any fears. What I have is a lot of hope that someone will be facing justice for this. Uh, if the person is still alive, I hope they can find it within themselves to turn themselves in. Uh, if the person is deceased, well, they'll have to address that with the Lord, I guess. What's your message to whoever may be watching and may remember this area back then, maybe lived here back then? Uh, it would be nice if you can leave an anonymous tip with the, with the sheriff's office. And uh, if you know, uh, even if it's just a rumor, 
you know, the least little clues often helps in the case of a homicide. It's the little things that matter. So if you have any of that little information, please come forth and share it so that my family and I can have closure and we can bring this to a resolution. Terrence, what would it mean to you to have the closure that the Farah family has? Oh, it would mean so much. It would mean so much. It would lift a big burden and uh, I can finally sleep better at night knowing that I fulfilled the promise and helped bring justice for my uncle. Thank you for your time, Terrence. Thank you. Appreciate it. For all our listeners on the podcast, thank you so much for joining us. We are joined today by Sergeant Dan Jansen of the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. We're going to talk about the murder of Booker T. Williams. Now, uh, Sergeant Jansen, talk to us a little bit about this case. This was a 1983 case, is that right? That's correct. Good morning, Lorena. Um, yeah, this was May 3rd of 1983, which was a Tuesday morning, um, where Booker was found in his vehicle. Uh, Booker was a black male, 26 years of age. Um, <clears throat> his vehicle was found uh, in the open field at the west end of an elementary school, Grand Park Elementary School. And um, the vehicle was kind of set far back, almost by the wood line. Um, I've, I've brought some pictures that, that we can also look at. Uh, the passenger door of the vehicle was open and um, he was deceased inside the vehicle. He was in the driver's seat and um, there was a, believe it or not, the, there was a weapon. We're not sure if that's going to actually be the weapon used to kill him. There was a knife. He was stabbed. So there was a knife outside the vehicle where the, on the passenger side where that door was open. And um, obviously we collected that knife. However, um, so he was found in the early morning hours and um, an individual was coming to work. He noticed the car that was parked on the property. Uh, he walked over to the car and, and, and observed the fact that Booker was in the vehicle. It was a 1978 Chevrolet Monza. And um, he also noticed that the passenger door was open, so he walked around the vehicle and he looked inside the vehicle and saw you know, the victim inside. And so then he, he contacted the police and, and obviously the sheriff's office responded to the scene. And so he was found stabbed. Do you know how many times he was stabbed? I do. Um, it was several times. Uh, I'm not going to put an exact number out there right now. Um, that's one of these things that's kind of intrinsic to the investigation. Um, you know, although it was common knowledge that he was stabbed, uh, we're going to reserve that, mm -hmm. you know, how many times and where he was stabbed. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. It, we actually went back and, and spoke with family members who last saw him, and he was last seen leaving his home with an individual that was known to them as Willie, Willie Paul. Uh, ultimately, he's identified as Willie Paul McDougall. Uh, Mr. McDougall was the last person seen <coughs> with uh, the victim when the victim was alive. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, unfortunately, Willie Paul is no longer with us. He, he, he is deceased. He died two years ago. Um, so the availability to go back to talk to him as to what he knows about the case um, is not there. And so mm -hmm. we have to kind of rely on what's documented in the report. Was he considered a person of interest, Mr. He, McDougall? He was, okay. he was, because there were several individuals that saw him the day before walking around with a knife in his hand, a large knife as a matter of fact. And so he was looked at as, as an individual, uh, a person of interest in the case. But like I said, he's no longer with us. So um, there's the availability to still get the case um, resolved in the sense that, you know, if we end up testing evidence that was collected from the crime scene and we get a DNA match to him, 
that mm -hmm. resolves the case. You know, we clear, a, we clear a cold case. It may not be through arrest, you know, so mm -hmm. we do get the case. So even though the person of interest may be deceased, this is still something you're, you're looking at because it remains unsolved. Correct. Right? Okay. That's correct. And again, you got to remember, he was just a person of interest in, okay. in the case. Um, and, and though he looked like a good person of interest, I mean, he wasn't the only, only person of interest in the case. Okay. Um, there is a, let's see if I can find it in the report here. Uh, there was an individual that talks about uh, another suspect, uh, and they describe him as a 17-year-old, 17-year-old suspect. Mm. Um, let me see if I can find that for sure. you. So, um, on the uh, so this happens on May 3rd is when the, the detectives are called to the scene. So we, he's last seen on the second, in the afternoon of the second. So somewhere between the second and the third is, is when the incident takes place. Uh, so on May 3rd, at, and it's documented in here at 4.45 p.m., um, an individual called the homicide office and spoke with Detective Higabotham. And the caller stated that he saw a 17-year-old black male named Jimmy, and that's all we have is Jimmy, run from the car that the victim was found in at around 9.30 p.m. He advised, that he, he advised that he asked Jimmy about it and Jimmy showed him a knife and told him that he had killed the guy. So we have that as well, you know, okay. um, that we have to kind of work on. And, um, and, and so, you know, is, is, that be, is that fabricated? You know, I can't say that. And we don't have, we don't have a last name to go with Jimmy mm -hmm. either. So um, that's something that's going to have to be vetted out. Uh, and so you have, you, you have McDougal seen with a knife the day before. And then you see Jimmy, um, where you see where an uh, individual calls and says Jimmy uh, admits mm -hmm. to actually stabbing him. So. And did that caller provide a description of Jimmy? Um, it, very loosely. Okay. It's not very detailed at all. But he kind of gives a. He, he also gives a, a description of a house, not an address. He just says he lives on a yellow house on Elmida Street. Well, it just so happens that he's at the dead end of Elmida Street, at 2800 block. That's where the vehicle is found. Okay. Right next to the Grand Park Elementary School, so um, of course that's that's uh, that's interesting mm -hmm. to us as well, um, you know. But we're talking 35 years later here, so mm -hmm. is that house still yellow? Probably not, you know. So we'd have to do some do some research yeah. on that as well. The it, it do we know what Williams was doing the night before? Was he hanging out with friends? Or? So so he had he had picked up uh, Willie Paul, and then they were. According to Willie Paul, they go to a club, and uh, I, the detectives actually verify it's called the OP Club, and uh, they actually verify the fact that that was true through others, through other witnesses. And then they leave the club. Um, there's varying times that are mentioned in the report, but they leave the club in the early morning hours, and then everything kind of gets lost from that point. Okay. What was the motive? Well, so uh, we, I'm. We, it's documented in the case file that um, that Booker was homosexual and that Willie McDougal was homosexual as well. Although McDougal claims that he has a girlfriend at the time that his interview takes place in the homicide office, he was actually picked up eventually and interviewed in the homicide office. And he said, and he admits, he says, I, I was homosexual, but I'm not any longer. I've got a girlfriend now. And so, um, but others have told uh, the lead detective in this case that. McDougal was very was a very jealous individual, you know. So that 
you know, furthers our heightened awareness of whether or not he was going to be our suspect. Um, but then again, you have an you know, anonymous caller that calls in and says, Jimmy admitted to him to kill him, wow. you know, kill him, Booker. So it sounds like, uh, and I know you're not releasing the amount of times that he was stabbed, but is it, does it appear that it was a personal? Yes, kill? it does. It does. Mm -hmm. So which kind of helps us in, in uh, when, you, when you're doing some criminal profiling, you know, in the sense of identifying what type of crime and doing some victimology on the case, you can kind of say that this, was, this wasn't a personal attack, you know, especially leaving that knife in the ground uh, outside the passenger door. It's almost like you're sending a message. Um, right now, uh, as you can imagine, back in 1983, DNA did not exist in the sense that we use it for law enforcement. And so the, the obvious thing is that we're going to go back and take a look at the evidence in this case. Can we say that was the actual knife used to kill him? I uh, can't say that. Uh, and also, back then, it was tested for fingerprinting, and they did a presumptive chemical analysis on the knife to see if there was any, any blood, both of which came back negative. And so now we have to kind of take a look at it and meet with our partners over at the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and have a conversation with them as to whether or not it's even viable evidence any longer. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's a knife, which we haven't pulled it out of the property room and looked at, but if it's a knife where it's a two-piece handle, maybe we can separate the handle and start, right. you know, see if we can dig out yeah. some DNA from that, from that angle. Has any DNA um, testing already happened in this case? Or no. Was, okay. None at all. Nope. And so, um, so if you want to take a look at these, mm -hmm. these crime scene photos, if you look, that's the, uh, that's the police car. If you look in the distance out there, you can see the, um, the 78 the, Chevrolet Monza. And this is an elementary school property. It is. Where it was found. It mm -hmm. is. And, and you can tell he's kind of like on the wood line in this photo. You oh, can wow. see it there. Yep. And with the detectives working on the car as well. We'll have Joel uh, get this later. But, uh, yep. Yeah. And so... You know, there's was, there was definitely some persons of interest in the case that, that we liked. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll, we'll have to do some homework on, on the one that was called in. Uh, unfortunately, McDougal's not with us anymore, so mm -hmm. we can't even have any conversations with him. But we do have an interview that was documented, so we'll okay. look at that and see how, it, uh, see how it plays out. It sounds like you at least have one witness, that caller, who said he saw Jimmy running away. Any other? Witnesses? Yeah, so there, there, there's a couple of witnesses in here. Obviously, they talked to some witnesses that were at the OP club. And mm -hmm. so um, we'll have to do some homework to see which witnesses are still alive or still with us mm -hmm. uh, and how many of them remember, you know, back in 1983, any information related to this case. Mm -hmm. so, um, and there was, <clears throat> not just a knife was collected, but other evidence that was collected within the vehicle, some items from the passenger side of the car, which of course, we can't say definitively that belonged to our, sus our suspect in this case, but we should take a look at it, mm -hmm. you know, should take a hard look at it just to see. So the, the passenger side door was found wide open. He was on the driver's side. That's correct. Any theories of, so, this happened after the club, right? So they were probably, is it safe to assume that they were all hanging out, something happened and maybe they started an argument and the, that killer, so basically the killer didn't come up on him, he was all, the killer was already with him is, is what we believe. That's what, I, okay. yeah, that's what we believe. Now, uh, there is some signs of a struggle in the vehicle. So uh, I really couldn't say that there was more than two people in the car. Uh, okay. We know two for sure. Um, could there have been a third one? Could this 17-year-old who runs from the car have been in the vehicle at the same time, maybe in the backseat? Sure, it could have been. And it could have been a jealousy rage that happens inside that vehicle. So, mm -hmm. uh, the, 
was anything take um, was there any sign of a, of a theft or anything like that at no. all that okay so no, no sign okay. of robbery at all mm. no. um, going forward uh, what do you want people to know about if you know I know it was 35 years ago and things have really changed around here but what would you like them to know so <clears throat> so um, what's interesting to me is we've, we've talked about a lot of cold mm -hmm. cases over time and it seems to me that what happens is throughout the years relationships change and I think in this case some relationships have probably changed and if that's the case um, there's individuals that all know information and, and, and now that they know you know what we've already reported today they they're less you know fearful of coming forward and talking mm -hmm. to the police I, I think they should always come and talk to us but uh, when relationships change that's the best way of solving some of these cold cases mm -hmm. technology obviously helps a lot but primarily uh, uh, the change in relationships is what helps us out mm -hmm. so if, if, if there's someone out there that knows information about this case I would submit to, to them that they can come talk to us and uh, we can garner some really good information to help us solve this case. Also, um, if nothing else, one of our goals as a cold case unit is to make sure that we bring all these cases up the current investigative standards. In that, I mean that we have evidence that hasn't been fully vetted at this point. So that's one thing that we're going to have to do and make sure that we bring this case to uh, current investigative standards. What about the car? Um, I, I imagine JSO doesn't have the car today. We don't today. have the car any longer, no. Um, anything in the report that uh, was able to be saved, fingerprints lifted, anything like that? No, no, there wasn't any that, uh, that, that I saw. Now, um, we just opened this case recently, so, uh, and we, mm -hmm. you know, of course we went through all the reports on it this far. We haven't pulled the evidence out to really take a look at it and see what kind of condition it is. Sometimes we get over there and some of the evidence is missing, has been destroyed, or it's not suitable for testing, meaning it was packaged wrong or, or something like that. And then also, um, we, we'll go over to our fingerprint lab and see if there was anything that was collected that wasn't documented. Um, I would say that in the 80s, maybe the thoroughness wasn't the same as what's the expected level as of today. Um, we are much more thorough today because there's so much more detail in the homicide investigations than, than, we, than we were in 83, but there was, there was no fault of anyone at the time. That's just the way it was back in 1983. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that sounds like a weak statement, but when we look backwards on cases, we don't, mm -hmm. we don't look backward to find fault. We look right. backward to find information. Mm -hmm. And so we always like going back and talking to the lead detectives and the lead evidence technicians and saying, what do you remember about this case? Because what reports don't contain are, is opinions, so mm -hmm. we need to. Ha it's good to have those because they really lead us in the in the right direction. Um, oftentimes, you know, we might meet with the detective in this case, and he'll say, "Well, I really don't think McDougal did it, and this is why." And he said, "My opinion is X, Y, Z, and mm -hmm. whatever it might be. I think it was that 17-year-old that was in." Or he might say something else. Right. Know? Right. So, um, the, we know the, a knife was found at the scene, and while we don't know that is the murder weapon, it's possible. Um, and you mentioned earlier that uh, maybe that knife was left behind to, to send a message. What do you think that message might be? Well, I, I mean, it's just a message of anger, you know. Um, if, if there was some jealousy there mm -hmm. of, of another individual, he could try to be, you know, send a message to who he is jealous of, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but why would be? It's odd that a possible murder weapon was left at the scene. 
It does. It does sound odd. Yeah. It's not, that's not a common thing. Yeah. But uh, um, but also shows some concern when you do a, a chemical analysis for the presumptive of blood and mm -hmm. it comes back negative. You know, mm -hmm. there's no blood on it. You know, and it's not like he had the convenience of a sink to wash it or bleach or something like that. So. Did he wipe it clean or is it something that we just need to take another hard look at? Is know? that also a sign that it probably wasn't a planned attack? Oh, I don't think this was mm -hmm. at all. No, mm -hmm. no, I think this was spontaneous. I really mm -hmm. do. Um, that's my personal opinion, mm -hmm. my professional opinion. Uh, could have been planned. You know, somebody, Willie, if it was Willie Paul and, and he decides that he's going to kill him because he's jealous of him. Because remember, I was mm -hmm. telling you that, that he was seen with a knife the day before. Right which would lend to the mindset that maybe he had it and he was intended, you know, to kill him. Um, that would have to come from the suspect or someone else that might have been in the car at the time who says, you know, hey, listen, he told me when we got in the car that this is what he was going to do. So. Thank you, Sergeant. Anything else that maybe I didn't ask that might be worth bringing up? I don't think so. I think we covered most of it. Um, I'm kind of thankful that uh, that this was discovered, it being on an elementary school grounds, that it was discovered prior to school starting. It was early in the morning uh, when an individual was coming to work at a, a nearby neighboring business. And so this was all discovered before any children arrived and had to see something like this, because mm -hmm. that, that's obviously would have been bad. Yeah. So. Any idea why they were on a elementary school property? Or back then, was that like a hangout? Or No, the, the, <clears throat> the obvious uh, or apparent reason is that it's kind of see it's a big open field. They were back up against the wood line. Okay. And if they're hanging out at three o'clock in the morning, which is what the re report says that, you know, that's what time they ultimately left this bar. Um, it's secluded mm -hmm. in, a, in a roundabout way. You know, you're not okay. on the roadway or in somebody's driveway. It's kind of off the beaten path, if you will. Thank you, Sergeant, for your time. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. We're joined by Ryan Backman of Project Cold Case, and we're here to talk about uh, a family that you recently came to know, the Booker Williams family, is that right? Or That's, tell me how, how you met them. Yeah, so uh, this one was one of those cases where they, I think, reached out to JSO first, um, and JSO referred them to us. And this is kind of, you know, this is the relationship we now have with, with JSO. A family reaches out to us, we vet it through JSO, a family reaches out to JSO and they refer them over to us. So it really, really works well together uh, to provide them kind of multiple things that the families usually need when they're dealing with unsolved cases. One, uh, the investigative part, which JSO handles, mm -hmm. but then also that advocacy part that Project Cold Case provides, um, the ability to publicize these cases, to get them in touch with, with you mm -hmm. um, and get their, their loved one's story out there. So yeah, this family um, is one that basically the sister and her nephew, or her son, uh, the victim's nephew, are both very vocal about this case. They're very interested um, in getting some resolution and, and basically making sure that, that nobody's forgotten about, about their loved one. Mm -hmm. and, and thank you for putting in, us in touch with the family. I spoke with the nephew this morning and he told me that he was really young at the time, but he always knew his uncle to be somebody he really loved in the community. And he had a job. He was holding a steady job. He was getting ready to go on a little vacation yeah. when this happened. Um, what have you been able to, to gather uh, from the family and how they've been doing since that day? Well, 
My understanding is that, you know, they were pretty much concerned that he was forgotten uh, in the community. You know, uh, this, is, this is difficult for families that, you know, there were all these, you know, witnesses at the time that came forward. There were people of interest at the time, but over the years, the cases talked about less even among them and their family, and you really start to worry that, uh, that they won't get that call from JSO one day. And um, so, so they've been very, very happy about, uh, about some awareness being raised for Booker's case. They, uh, are, Terrence, the, the nephew, is supposed to come by our office and bring mm -hmm. us some pictures, you know, uh, so we can put them up on the website and that kind of stuff. So that always makes you feel good when you can mm -hmm. um, give that family something that they kind of feel like maybe has gone away. Uh, and that's the, the awareness and, you know, their loved one's image. Uh, media today is a lot different than it was in 1983, you know, so now with social media and, and this, this segment that we do mm -hmm. on Project Cold Case, um, they're going to get some awareness for this case that they haven't gotten probably in a really long time. Mm -hmm. And you know what families have told me that just the fact that we're doing a, case, a story on it is helpful already. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, and I hear things from the detectives also that say um, not just local JSO, but some of the other agencies that we, we work with that say every time we get a case on TV, the phones start ringing. And, and a lot of times it may be information that they already have, but as Detective Reeves mentioned earlier, let them be the determination. Let them determine that. Uh, right. Do they uh, need that information? Is it something that, that they were told before? Is it something that someone thought they were told before, but they actually weren't? You know, we, mm -hmm. that's what we want. We want as much information as possible flowing to the uh, detectives so that they can hopefully bring a resolution to these cases. If there's a, a person out there listening to this podcast and they have a family member who is the victim of a homicide and that case has gone cold and maybe they're hesitant to to speak on it, what would you tell them about how it could be beneficial to them? Well, I think, you know, every person is, is different and every mm -hmm. case is, you know, is different. But, uh, but if, if they have a case that they feel like, you know, maybe somebody had information and never came forward and they've given, you know, kind of lost hope that, um, that that's, that's exactly why they should reach out to Project Cold Case. That's why they should call the detective or the investigating agency. Um, these cases don't always just fall in our lap. Sometimes somebody has to give them to us. Uh, we, we try, and I know JSO tries really hard to make sure that every case is, is looked at as often as, as physically possible, but you know, it's, it's very hard, especially in a large city like Jacksonville, um, for every single case to get the attention that, that we would want it to get, that JSO would want it to get. So um, it's important sometimes to remind um, the detective to remind Project Cold Case to touch base with us. Um, you know, and there are situations out there where cases there may not be much the, the detective can do, or maybe it has already been brought up to investigative standards in the last mm -hmm. couple of years, but we can still publicize that case on our website. Um, mm -hmm. There's still things that we can do. Uh, just because the evidence has all been tested and there's nowhere, you know, really else for the investigative side of the of the case to go, um, all it takes is is somebody seeing it, whether it's social media or on the news, and, and calling with that one bit of information that then breaks the case wide open again. How can somebody reach you, Ryan, if they'd like to talk to you about their family's case? Yeah, uh, our website is the best place, uh, projectcoldcase.org, and there's a link on there where you can actually submit your loved one's case to us. 
there's a link where law enforcement can submit a case to us. Um, you know, we have social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those are Project Cold Case. Um, so it's real easy to find us. You send us an email, uh, call our office, 904-525-8080. Um, we're always happy to help uh, and do whatever we can, not just if it's a local case, but um, we have connections with law enforcement agencies all across the state and all across the country. So if we can offer some assistance, you know, sometimes families live here, but their loved one's case maybe happened somewhere else and they really feel isolated, like there's no one there to help them and, and we wanna offer them services as well. Thank you so much for your time, Ryan. Sure. Action News Jack's Project Cold Case airs the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month on Action News Jack's at 5.30. You can also find all of our stories, interviews, pictures, and documents on actionnewsjacks.com. Just look for the Project Cold Case button. And listeners, we hope you share this podcast on your social media platforms. Lorena and I also welcome your questions. Tweet us at Paige A.N. Jacks or Lorena A.N. Jacks.